Is this all new, this equipment? You're just breaking it out today for the first time? No, we've been, I've been using this. Oh, you just pack it up really nicely each time. Yes. Good. Gotcha. The Army teaches you how to pack 10 pounds of shit in a five-pound bag. <laughs> Atlanta, a city with 18 sister cities around the world that never keep in touch. The Whole World Improv Theater Podcast, brought to you by Whole World Improv Theater, Atlanta's original home of improv. Here are your hosts, artistic director Chip Powell, and a man who thinks Ben and Jerry are national heroes. They are. John Mihalik. Oh my gosh, they so are. <gasps> Whole World should submit an ice cream flavor. I don't know how people go about that. Ooh! Oh my gosh, that would be so... What would be in it, John? What would you have in your whole world Ben & Jerry's ice cream? Bunch of sarcasm, but that's what you would have. What does sarcasm taste like, John? Bitter and fruity. Hey, everybody. It's the Whole World Improv Theater Podcast. I'm John Mihalik, and with me, my co-host, the artistic director of Whole World Improv Theater, Mr. Chip Powell. Hi, John. Hi, Chip. Very excited about our guest today. This is an episode that I've been waiting for. <laughs> I'm sure you have. Because our guest today is Emily Riley Russell. My best friend. Yellow. So Emily was with us in season one mm-hmm. talking about... Origins. Origins. And that was with you. Mm-hmm. And Manish was our guest host. And I was actually listening to that uh, season this morning. Yeah. You were doing your homework on I was, me? I was... <laughs> Then in season two, Emily was with us to talk about the educational program here, and that was with David. Yes. But now I get the episode I want. It's just you two. I can just wind you both up. <laughs> but but we're going to focus on Emily <laughs> when she was just a little baby. Oh, a mere child. <laughs> So talk to us about why acting, like what got you into theater? What got me into theater? What was your first memory of your first performance ever? Well, I did a lot of performing in front of the family. (laughs) I was a little cheerleader. My dad would tell us all, no cheering at the table. No singing at the table. So my career started at the dining room table, for sure. Nice. (laughs) Where I killed it every night until my father said, stop it. Stop it. I will spank your butt. Awesome. (laughs) What would you perform at the table? Well, I really love to sing Annie. (laughs) <laughs> any any sort of tomorrow, tomorrow, or you know, um, maybe far away. So it's a hard knock life. Yeah, I didn't do that one. I like <laughs> I like a ballad, you know. But um, <laughs> I just needed a chorus for that. My sisters wouldn't play along. <laughs> but there was lots of cheering. Yeah, we did a lot of cheers and stuff like that. So um, no, I don't know. Um, I didn't do theater really in school. There was like one play that my sister got me in. When she was in seventh grade, I was a second grader. I got to be some little kid in a play that she was in. But I didn't start theater really until college. My oldest sister was a ballerina. So she was the performer when we were growing up. So I did a lot of 
watching in the audience my whole childhood. I've seen The Nutcracker one million times and (laughs) Swan Lake and Capella and, you know, just you name it. I've seen them all and I loved it. So I lived in a theater my entire childhood, but I lived in the audience or in the lobby of a rehearsal hall with a bunch of ballerinas around me. I was not a ballerina. No high school performances? No. Wow. No, none. Surprising. I mean, I got to be in the Miss CHS contest, which was basically like a like a little talent show. Three girls from every grade were selected. And that's where my first public Annie performance happened. I took, yeah, I took my history, my performance from that point that had culminated all my childhood to the ninth grade Miss CHS performance, which that is Shambly High School. The Miss <laughs> Shambly High School performance of ninth grade. And I sang Maybe from Annie. And you know what? I won for my grade. I was, I was just going to ask you, where is your three girls, uh, <laughs> I won class sweetheart. Oh, uh, uh, there you go. And then there was nothing. <laughs> until uh, <laughs> I went to Georgia Southern. Oh, wow. And that's where. So what's your first in. production at Georgia Southern? At Georgia Southern. <laughs> These are great questions because I was Mother Goose. <laughs> um, I played Mother Goose, um, or the Goose, I should say, in Charlotte's Web. I was also the narrator uh, for the performance, but... Um, Yes, I was Mother Goose. So I did a lot. They loved my... Do you want to hear my goose? Please. Of course we do. Is that a turkey? That's a turkey, I think. What is a goose, then? What was my goose? What is it? Yeah. God, I got turkey all mixed up with goose. God. You know what? It was my first performance. I might have done a turkey sound. You might have. I, you know, I might have done, I might have been a turkey, but I was supposed to be a goose. I mean, I do remember, I was supposed to be a goose. I was, I was a goose. I just made turkey sounds. They loved me. So did you continue farm animals through Georgia Southern? Or? <laughs> um, I did another play, The Real Queen of Hearts, Ain't Even Pretty. That one was great. That was such a great show. It was all girls, and it was about a high school beauty contest in a very southern town. So that was a lot of fun. Spring's Awakening. We did Spring's Awakening. Oh, I was cast as Frenchie in Greece. And I was such a little brat. I wanted to be Rizzo, but I got cast as Frenchie. So I was so pissed off about it. I decided to go to a Grateful Dead concert in Atlanta and skip a rehearsal. And when I came back to the theater the next day after skipping a rehearsal, the director said, what happened? And I said, well, I went to a Grateful Dead concert. He's like, you were supposed to be here. It's like, yeah, well... I wanted Rizzo. I didn't want Frenchie. And he said, well, you'll get neither now. (laughs) I got kicked out. And it was so exactly what I needed because what a little brat. (laughs) (laughs) And then I saw the show and I would have been a fucking, oh, sorry. I would have been a great Frenchie. But um, my whole reference was the movie at that point. And I didn't understand casting. I just wanted to get what I wanted. 
Mm-hmm. I didn't understand that you're going to be cast where you're best suited. Although I would have made a great Rizzo too, motherfucker. <laughs> Give me a but, chance. So when do you depart for Atlanta again from Southern? Well, yeah, I met Webster mm-hmm. at Southern. We were doing Theater South mm-hmm. at Georgia Southern. Webster left. He graduated from Georgia Southern. And I was like, uh, we were such great friends. Mm-hmm. And my sister was gone. I'd gone to Georgia Southern because my sister was there. Yeah. And my sister had graduated maybe the year before. So I was like, why am I down here? And all my friends are in Atlanta. Uh, Webster had moved to Chicago. Mm -hmm. But I just wanted to come back to Atlanta. So I finished at Georgia State. And I did a one-woman show at Georgia State. What was that like? Oh, my God. It was so awesome. What was the name of that show? Crowning Glory. Crowning Glory was about a woman who owned her own beauty salon. And she was a single mom. She had been a battered wife. But it was so, it was such a, um, it was a great script. And it was so much fun to do a one woman show. And I was able to gather my tech crew. So you're not alone. You're not alone. It, It was a fun thing. I got to be a producer and an actor. That was my first, I would say, producing venture. So anyway, Crowning Glory was amazing. I even got an opportunity to film it. Georgia Public Broadcasting came and filmed me. We got to go into a real beauty salon and film it on set, on site. So that kind of moved on to be, oh, I forgot about that. That's really cool. I probably have that video somewhere. I haven't thought about this in a while this is good well that's why we do this yeah i like this yeah so there is somewhere and i probably have a copy of it on vhs um of crowning glory that was filmed for channel eight whatever um public pbs yeah no channel eight channel eight so don't you move to chicago for a brief moment yes i do I graduated from Georgia State. I did my first professional theater was Neighborhood Playhouse. Wasn't that indicator? Yeah, I worked there. We did Damn Yankees. Mm -hmm. And that was amazing. I really enjoyed it. It was so much fun. Um, That's where I met Linda and Alan Patton. Oh, yeah. And did uh, Cuckoo's Nest and come back to the... Five, Five and, and dime. dime, Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean. Yeah. Mm. We did that. And then Webster was in Chicago. He had been taking classes at Second City. So I went up there and took classes with he had a loft over this bar in Evanston. Mm-hmm. And I rented a room from the people in the same loft. We did classes there, and I worked at a coffee shop. I was there for three months. I thought I was going to spend the rest of my life there. But Webster had been coming to Atlanta to do classes, teaching improv, met Jennifer Horn, and fell in love. And he's like, well, we're moving to Atlanta. And I was like, dude, I just got you. (laughs) And um, he's talking to my mom, and my mom's like, she can't stay up there without you. And he's like, you can't stay up here without me. And um, I was only 25, and I didn't want to be up there 
alone either. So you only did classes in Chicago? I just took classes and I worked at a coffee shop. It's not a lot of time to do a production. Yeah. No. So you come back to Atlanta and then what happens? I immediately got married. (laughs) (laughs) We came back in November. We had our first class with Whole World at... um, Elizabeth Street. No, it wasn't Elizabeth Street. Oh, yeah, it was was Bennett Street. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, what? I can't remember. Out Proud. Yeah. Out Proud Theater. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's where I did the night Larry Kramer Kissed Me, which was another one-man show, but it was by David Drake, and then Bob Putnam directed me over there. So Bennett Street, it was so funny. Because this is when we started crossing... Pass, yeah. Yes. So we had our first uh, whole world, and there was no name. David Webster held a workshop mm-hmm. at Out Proud Theater, mm-hmm. and I was there, and Lance was there, and Jim Isa was there. I believe Wes Kinnamore was there. Perhaps Phil. Of course, Jennifer was there. Jenny Andrews mm-hmm. was there. Yep. Uh, Leslie Truman, was she there at that time? She was definitely involved. She was in the early days, but this was the first, very first workshop where a core group Mm -hmm. of founding members attended. That was in November, and then Mark and I ran off to Vegas, Mm -hmm. and I was married on December 4th. So by the time we came back for our second workshop, I was a married woman (laughs) at 25 years old, a baby. You got married in Vegas? Yes. Did the kids know this? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we we yeah. runt off. Oh, okay. They done eloped. We did. We eloped. We eloped. They eloped. I got a really beautiful dress at this cute little place in Virginia Highlands with one of my girlfriends, and she's like, what are we getting this dress for? So what, my, mom's, uh, my mom always has a Christmas party, um, and she was like, I always wear jeans to your mom's party, and I was getting this pretty, pretty dress. I was like, I'm dressing up this year. Now, do you still have the dress? I do. Awesome. I do have my dress. It was um, kind of a grayish blue with this black fringy slip under it. Oh my God. It's such a beautiful dress. Yay. Mm-hmm. You still have and we it. Went, yeah. And we went to Vegas and we got married in the Little White Chapel. Please tell me by Elvis. No, Elvis cost extra. <laughs> we were on a budget. We, we spent a lot of money on those plane t- tickets. The plane tickets. Well, can't you, can't you there, uh, believe you there because uh, <laughs> the uh, peanut butter and banana sandwiches... I do cost the king a little bit more money. So you should have paid up and maybe some fried chicken on top of that, too. (laughs) That was the first time I'd ever been to Vegas. And there was the rodeo convention going on. And we stayed at the Sahara, which I don't think the Sahara is even there anymore. It's probably an old town. Uh, Yeah. 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 It's in the old town. Is it there still? It probably is still there, yeah. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. Because well, Circus Circus this. is still there, and that, that's yeah. old. <laughs> well, the we golden this, nugget. Um, we met a cowboy in the elevator, and he was like, well, y'all look nice. Where are you going? We're going to get married. And he just was the sweetest thing. He ended up sending us a bottle of wine to our hotel room. So when we arrived back after getting hitched, <laughs> there was a sweet bottle of wine from a cowboy that we had met in the elevator. 
<laughs> Which, you know, when you're young, like, well, I mean, I was 25. I just thought, oh, my God, that was nice that somebody did something like that. I just oh, yeah. thought I, oh, nobody yeah. had ever done anything like that, you know. This program is supported in part by Georgia Council for the Arts through the appropriations of the Georgia General Assembly. Georgia Council for the Arts also receives support from its partner agency, the National Endowment for the Arts. And thank goodness for organizations like these, because now more than ever, anybody sick of that phrase? Everyone knows how important the arts are, because where did everybody turn to after two years of health arts? So let's keep recognizing these amazing organizations for what they are and what they do. We love you. So you get back from being married, and now you're back in Atlanta. What's the next step? What's the next production? Well, then it was pretty much whole world all the time. Mm -hmm. So there were classes being held in Decatur. There was Eddie's Attic stuff. Mm -hmm. I had, like I said, just gotten married. So I was a little one foot in and one foot out. I wasn't, I I was kind of excited about being married. Mm -hmm. And Webster wasn't going to have that. Mm -mm. So he laid it down with me and was like, we're doing this and you have to do this. So by the time we got the space at Elizabeth Street, I was um, one foot in and the other one coming Yeah, because I was at Elizabeth Street and I didn't see you. And it wasn't until Louis Pool Hall that you did Crimes of the Heart with oh, yeah. Jenny I was- Andrews and Jennifer Horn. Webster. Right, right. Yeah, I didn't do, um, I was taking classes. Mm-hmm. I was in the classes on Elizabeth Street, but I wasn't performing that shit that they were doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The whole world's, um, and I mean, I don't mean like the shit. I mean, I do mean the shit. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> those guys were brave to do that shit because yeah. I was like, I don't. I mean, that was the thing. I was like, oh, I'm a real actress. I don't do yeah. this experimental shit. Yeah. Um, but those guys did, and there was a lot of respect for that because you know, improv is in so many ways you really have to put your ego away. Mm-hmm. And be an ensemble member. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't there yet. I wasn't ready. Improv was very scary to Mm -hmm. me at that time. Because I had been such a performer, scripted actress. I had been a scripted actress. And flexing or bending in that freedom of improv was, it didn't feel like freedom to me. It felt like free falling Mm -hmm. and it was very scary to me yeah so it did not come naturally it did not come easily i was one of those people that had to unlearn what she had learned Mm -hmm. in order to find comfort in the improv um but i yes so webster's way of certainly keeping me engaged was the scripted work yeah and we did crimes of the heart and of course you know we killed that that was Mm -hmm. so much fun we had done crimes of the heart at georgia southern yeah webster produced it off campus Mm -hmm. and Joel sellers Mm -hmm. who did some early work here bitches he Uh, yes, bitches yeah, and uh, women behind women bars. bars. Yeah, Mitchell had directed Crimes of uh-huh. the Heart, so Webster directed it here at 
Louis Pool Hall. Yeah, yeah, Louis, yeah. And the infamous dinner theater. Yeah, dinner theater where I was like, you can't serve that chicken. <laughs> that chicken's not cooked. So it yes, took about halfway into the play before we could give people chicken. Wow. So, so yes. Yeah, so I was doing the scripted work, and then simultaneously there would be Pips Queens and Dope Fiends. Yes. Improv and those bloodbath. Mm-hmm. What bingo or uh-huh, something? Yeah, like. yeah, yeah. So I was not doing that. I was still staying over here in my comfort zone. Mm-hmm. I was doing some classes. Webster was unwinding me from my scripted self, mm-hmm. really trying to get me to be an improviser because it was family. Mm-hmm. That's, it was going to be the family business. And I wanted to be a part of it. I just wanted to be a little bit more comfortable. So student program director. That was Chip. That was Chip. Yeah, yeah. Chip was the first student program well, director. I'll edit, I came in I'll behind edit that him. Out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I started working for Whole World, uh, I believe, in 2001. So from 1994 when we started, which was late. I'm sorry, 1993 is when we started. Yeah. Um, we always say 94 because that's when, like, it was legit and had a name. Yeah, yeah. In '94, <laughs> October, almost a year after right. we really started, we really got together and started the company in late '93. And then things were really happening, like a name, a space, incorporation by October '94. Okay. So when it was there, is it fair to say that there really wasn't an apprentice program? You were all. We were all just yeah. there. We were all just there. Mm-hmm. You were one of the original mainstays just by the fact that you two were there. Okay. Right. How did the apprentice program start? We did advertising and creative loafing for six month program. Mm-hmm. And we had Michael Snow, Michael Sweeney, Jim and Lance as the core instructors and myself. And we booked 20 to 25 students per class and each class was going to go six months and then have a showcase. And with the showcase, we were going to take the people that excelled and put them in a program that we called the The new New cats. Cats. (laughs) So the the new new cats, cats. because the new cats were going to be the cast that stayed here in Atlanta while we took the main cast out to LA to film a pilot. Right, right. Which ended up... Start a whole new, whole world on, whole world West Coast. Yeah, yeah. So we were basically doing it to create a good base here to keep this going while we went elsewhere, but then that didn't actually happen. Right, because I have people to say, who went there came back. L.A. was called off. Mm-hmm. So now there's the main stagers and the new cats. Mm-hmm. What happened to the new cats? They got pissed off. <laughs> they got pissed. But I mean, so, um, yeah, because that, the, this wasn't quite what Because they had. we didn't end up giving them what we promised, which right. is to be. But here. in time, in time, as all things happen, um, you know, main stagers moved out. And just like it happens now, apprentices or 
some of the new cats moved into the main cast. So just mm-hmm. the that progression started to happen. So then did that continue and become the apprentice program we have now? We, it pretty much was. I mean, we called them new cats. The and, Tuesday group. Yeah. Because they had their show on Tuesdays. Tuesday. Yeah. So we called them the Tuesday group. And then things just started to develop from there. You so know, I, then we gave them a Thursday night show. Well, they were called Unusual Suspects. That was that was late two thousand, yeah, in the yeah. late two thousands, like or maybe like, even no, it was two thousand tens. Really? Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, yeah. no, because when I got here, starting as a student in twenty twelve, Donovan was here with us at the time that we start because he was the one that came up with the name Unusual Suspects. Oh, really? And so Donovan was the one that was kind of the helm behind creating that imagery. Mm-hmm. So it would have been him, but that would have been years down the line. I mean, I'm sure we called them apprentices as we do today because they are apprentices to the main cast. Yes, I believe that was the progression, though. Mm -hmm. I think it was New Cats, Mm -hmm. Tuesday Group, Mm -hmm. Apprentices, Unusual Suspects, and then we've kind of gone back into Apprentice again. Right. And now they're... Friday Night Fighters. Yes. (laughs) And they did a great job this week. (laughs) The education that's always gone on there with the Apprentice cast in all of its iterations, has that stayed the same through the years or has that changed through the years? We went from how you got there has gone from a six-month program to a six-month program and an advanced games program and then maybe Apprentice. And then I think we had made it the class program has taken different forms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's been a, a 10 week. It's been an eight mm-hmm. week. It's been, and then there's four different levels to it or three different levels to it. But that whole, you must, or everyone goes through the class program to become an apprentice. That has always been the way. Yeah. And then you're an apprentice and you live there and rise to the top to become a main stager. So that whole progression has always been the way we've never really, we've never auditioned anybody and said, okay, you're in main stage. Not main stage, but we've definitely auditioned people and said, you know, you can go to the advanced program or maybe once we did an apprentice program, but it's pretty sacred because if somebody comes from somewhere else and they've got the experience, we need them to understand and learn from the people that are here to become ensemble, to understand the method and the way that we do things so that that they transition into a better performer. But when Emily and I were coming up, there wasn't this process. You just had to have some sort of... We we were all from theater backgrounds, Mm -hmm. really. We were all... You either had to be a really good actor, you had to be a really good improviser, Mm -hmm. or you had to sell really good dope. (laughs) (laughs) That is how... Or buy the drinks. That is how you became a main stage performer at Whole World. That is, am I, I mean. Uh, uh, shit, Emily, I could have been a main you, stager years ago. Yeah, I'd have could, cashed yeah. in some favors. You yeah. should have you back have in to the share. day. Hey, you've been listening to people talk about improv, so why not try it yourself? 
Whole World Improv Theater has in-person improv classes for beginners and seasoned actors alike. No prior experience is needed. Our class program is eight weeks long and full of people just like you who want to learn and have a lot of fun. Just check out our website to learn more or sign up. The website is wholeworldtheater.com. And that's theater with an R-E at the end because we're fancy. So Emily, tell us, we get 1214 Mm -hmm. Spring Street, the space we're in right now, was the original space that we were in. So talk to our listeners about how that came about, because you then started doing more actual scripted work here, but also improv here, which led to the summer when we did Bitches and Women Behind Bars. Yes, yes. So getting this space was major. And Webster had some friends come in from Maine, Joe Bag of Donuts. Remember Joe Mm -hmm. Bag of Donuts? Or actually, Joe Bag of Donuts might have been from Chicago. Anyway. Came to town, built the risers, um, built the stage. Not this, what you see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was, for the longest time, we performed on the floor. Mm-hmm. And it was just some chairs and a couple of risers. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, you entered through the center. Yeah, there was the a doorway. the cafe was where under the risers. Yes. <laughs> was the cafe. Yes, you came right into the yeah. door at 14th, uh, uh-huh. 1214. Yeah. Turned to your left, there was a little bar where like the... Electrical panel is right now. (laughs) So um, there was the bar and box office. And then where our center aisle is, that was the doorway that led you Mm -hmm. in. And it was just folding Mm -hmm. chairs that Mm -hmm. we brought from Elizabeth Street. People Mm -hmm. sat on the floor. The cast sat on the floor. Mm -hmm. And we would be performing on stage in the middle of a show. And somebody had to go to the bathroom. They walked through the stage. (laughs) We had a black... (laughs) Well, we had a black curtain that kind of... But this was the men's bathroom, and where the stairway is was the ladies' bathroom. And so we would all be crammed back here behind a black curtain, and we could hear everybody going to the bathroom going, oh, my God, they were so great. They just, uh, weren't they fantastic? That was just so we, we would sit there going, like, we were so quiet during intermission that we would just sit there and listen to what people were thinking about our performance. <laughs> But we did those two plays that Chip has referred to, Bitches and Women Behind Bars, both produced and directed by Mitchell Sellers. Mm -hmm. And then we did... Four Dogs and a Bone. Four Dogs and a Bone. Uh, House of Yes. House of Yes. Um, Midsummer Night's... Uh, Midsummer Night's Dream. Yeah. And Midsummer Night's Dream was... Um, that was a stage. That's when mm-hmm. a stage was built here. We had a... Um, mm-hmm. We had mm-hmm. a, a lift... The, mm-hmm. There was an elevated stage and then a arch that went through mm-hmm. the upstage. Yeah, uh, because after that we did Jabberwocky, the Alice Chronicles, mm-hmm. which was a lot of fun to do. But you, uh, during Midsummer Night's Dream, hurt yourself. Oh, my gosh. And she, yes. she looked even more pathetic. 
<laughs> yes. So um, it was literal. It was my very first main stage show as a, like I had been promoted. Mm-hmm. It was just you, we were performers. Mm-hmm. And then okay. there was the main stage cast, which the people that were main stage first were like the Jim and the Lances and yeah, the, yeah. you know. And then this was my main stage, like Emily is promoted. We'd been performing the whole mm-hmm. time because we all had to do the shows, right? Because so whatever. you were all performers. We were all performers. But then it started to be, we're going to pull these guys out and now they're main stage. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you, you like picked principal actors. Yes. Or something like yes. like okay. Saturday mm-hmm. Night Live would mm-hmm. have, okay. you know, they have their featured performers mm-hmm. and then they have sort of an ensemble. So Webster was definitely making that sort of hierarchy among the cast. Oh, okay. So this was, on this particular night, it was my first main Main stage stage performance. And we were already in rehearsal or maybe even Mm -hmm. performance. I can't, no, we were in rehearsal for A Midsummer Night's Dream. And I blew out my knee. I tore my ACL. And um, that was awful. Ended up having surgery and all this stuff. But the show had to go on. I was Helena in a Midsummer Night's Dream, so I did Midsummer Night's Dream mm-hmm. and rode those elevations, the arc in the mm-hmm. back, um, with a immobilizer on, mm-hmm. and Which it worked. Made, it it well, kind of yeah. made Helena it, a little bit was, more pathetic. She was really pathetic. <laughs> like, she was really desperate. <laughs> And so it, it was fun. And watching you lug that thing along with you was like, I was like, she is really a great actress. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, there was a review that they thought, that was a really interesting choice. It was like, not a choice. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. legit injured here. Yeah. And I think the dresses still hang in yes. the costume room. My Aunt yes. Patsy made those dresses. And they're still there. The yellow one is... Helena mm-hmm. and Anna's is Hermia. Yeah. She's blue. Yeah. <laughs> Still there. Mm-hmm. So we go from scripted work to full time improv. Mm-hmm. What are your feelings there? You go from regular scripted work to just improv. Yeah, I think it was a slow sort of release from that, but because it was just so obvious that the improv was going to be the bread and butter around here. Yeah. So it was more and more improv, more shows. At one point, I don't know when all this happened, but we had a Tuesday night, we had a Thursday night, we had two shows on Friday and two shows on Saturday. So it was a lot of reps. You're just getting a lot of work Mm -hmm. and... That is what we did. We called it whole life theater. Um, But it was awesome. It was so much fun. It was Mm -hmm. certainly, it was a very special time. And, And I would say as much as it was whole life theater for me, I wasn't one foot in and one foot out anymore, Mm -hmm. but I wasn't so embedded in the main stage cast, like I didn't spend every weekend and every single night and everything with everybody because I was still kind of a newlywed. Mm -hmm. So I was a little bit on the fringe. I was in the family for sure. But I was maybe not so into so much of the drama Mm -hmm. 
of it. I think you yeah. too. You were. Yeah, yeah. You had something kind of on the outside of it yeah. as well. Well, I was working with Bob Putnam. I was doing an internship because Jen Sahanek had done Romeo and Juliet, and I was interning at 14th Street Playhouse at the time with Barking Dog Theater. Mm-hmm. So I was working on the outskirts as well and trying to commit because then Derek Green and I came up on the same night to main cast. And that's when David said, we're cutting off main cast. This is it. Uh-huh. And that's when we stopped doing scripted work. It's funny that you're saying on the fringes because that article that's in that big blow up next mm-hmm. door is called French Theater. Mm-hmm. And it's actually David, Jen, Lance, Phil, all on the set of House of Yes. Uh. That's the set. So working over here and doing that, because Barking Dog wasn't really going anywhere for me because the only show I could be in that season was Twilight of the Golds. And someone took that part, the director. So I was like, I came over here and I sat at 1214 Spring Street with David. And I said, what do you need? He's like, I need some help painting. And can you help me hang this light? And I said, what do I need to do to be main stage? And he said, just finish. You got some dope. <laughs> no, I just, had to, your dope. I just had to finish Lance's <laughs> class, which was the back of our cafe used to be a room where we would have a class. <laughs> there was me and three other girls and we would sit in there and that's where we'd warm up and do our class. It was funny because it was a different time. But, you know, that fringe feeling of us being, once you got in, you were in. Because then it immediately turned to, we're doing television. It immediately became intense. It immediately became, you're going to be working your ass off. And we were all committed to move to L. I mean, it was like a lot coming at you really fast. And there wasn't time to process or understand what the process was because you it was just do you just had to do it there was a lot of um well i think we were all very young there was a lot of naivety Mm -hmm. and a lot of do what's asked of you and you are lucky to be here Mm -hmm. and we all definitely felt very lucky to be on the ground floor of something that had such a movement behind. I mean, we were just being propelled. And you saw with your own eyes, the audience came week after week, and it got bigger and bigger, and then television and all this stuff. I mean, it was a happening. It was a movement. And we did feel but, yeah. very lucky. Very boots on the ground. We were not just here. You were forced to go downtown to perform anywhere and everywhere. You were forced to jump into an intersection with a boot and ask for money, very much like the fire department. I never did that, by the way. (laughs) I did many times. That's one of my favorite stories uh, we, that I've heard. Well, we did it on the streets out front when the traffic would back up. We would ha- dress up in characters and go out here in the street. It was just different. We went anywhere and everywhere, and there was no questions asked. You just did it. Yes. That's one of the things that is so interesting about the new our newer generations coming in because the performers now have boundaries, healthy boundaries 
boundaries. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, that's, we did not. No. We did that's not. That's the title of the episode, by the yeah, way. Yeah, Healthy Boundaries. <laughs> healthy Boundaries. We did not. I mean, I, and I know that for me, a lot of that comes from being Southern and you got to be a good girl and you do what you're told. Even though my friend was only two years older than me, he was doing something and I was impressed by it. And there was a part of me that knew that this is going to be important. But like, there were certainly shows where I was told you're going to get down in your bra for this, or you're going to wear your bra and your underwear for this. Um, You're going to strip up here on this table. And I I was never comfortable with that. Mm -hmm. Never. But I did it. Oh yeah. It never occurred to me that I could say no. no. Yeah. It never occurred to me. Well, I remember you going shopping at Victoria's Secret yes, I for did. scene that is actually in the actual whole world show. Well, I was told you're gonna strip and you're gonna be and I, in your bra and underwear and mm. well, I'm I like, mean, I was again like I'm a young girl. I have and poor. I was working three jobs to support yeah. this improv habit, mm-hmm. and. I didn't have a matching bra and panty. <laughs> I, I had. I didn't have matching bra and panty. Well, for, no. Forgive me. That's now yeah. the episode. No, that's not <laughs> that, that, that's not that matching bra and panty. Well, you, you better have a matching bra and panty, girl. The thing is, and I don't even know who went shopping for this. I was teaching a class here. I got a, a phone call that I needed to go to Piedmont Park, oh. and I went to Piedmont Park. And when I got there. Phil and uh, Michael Snow are in thongs and they hand me this bag. They're like, go in there. And I went into that restaurant at the corner of Piedmont Park and I put on a thong and I came out and did whatever they told me to goddamn do. And you were happy to be there. You sure as hell were. And so then I took the thong off and then we went out to, we put the thong back on and I went back out to Gay Pride. And you just did it because it was going to eventually lead to something funny. Phil Cater actually wins the award. He and Michael Snow tore up the thong thing. I was so uncomfortable because it was hard to get comfortable, you know, because then we start doing yoga in thongs. And you're just going, oh, my God, like, who bought the thongs, A? Yeah. (laughs) And B, you know, you're summoned from the theater to come out there, and then you just go, all right, I'm going to put on a thong, and I'm going to run around the park and get people to write on my ass. Yeah. And that's what you did. So you mentioned the healthy boundaries. Yes. You're also a managing director. Mm -hmm. We Mm -hmm. always say that you're the artistic director. Mm -hmm. It's part of the contract. (laughs) But... (laughs) <laughs> You've both fostered an air here where people can say no. Yes. Was that one of your first priorities? I think that we saw that people were coming in here and they weren't down for some of the things we were doing. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure Chip and I were looking at each other like, mm-hmm. look at these motherfuckers. Mm-hmm. Why they got to have... Why? Yeah. They, they say no. Yeah. yeah. They say no or something's wrong with that? What? (laughs) And first you think they don't understand. They don't understand. And then it's like, I think that we, over time you learn, oh, wait a minute. No, maybe we don't have it right. Like Mm -hmm. this is not maybe, oh, maybe what Mm -hmm. we learn wasn't the healthiest. The way that we came along was certainly got us to where we are. 
but can we do it better? Can we mm-hmm. do it better? And yeah. I think that we have chosen to take it in a different way. Yeah. I think it was the start of me trying to introduce kids programming because I had done children's educational theater for a very long time. And I just, I, my heart wasn't into it. And then I became the assistant director and Emily came on and took the kids programming and really turned it around to what it is today, which is a very successful kids program. And at the time, you know, watching kids, like I was saying earlier, watching kids do it smarter, do it without the foul language, without nudity, with like the kids do it smarter and telling adults that were in the program, go watch the kids programming because they don't need all that. And finding that it's better to do it smarter than raunchier. Maybe. I don't know. I, yeah. It, there was, there a was a time, there was a time like when you talk about the new cats or whatever, when a lot of the main stagers went away, some of the newer cast members came in and they thought raunch was what we were doing over here in the original main stagers. And I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that we weren't, there were some moments of that, but it was smarter. Mm-hmm. And so there was this kind of sloppy um raunch going on which chip and i were like no this feels like we're at the frat house like this is not going to do and that ended up solving itself and we got beyond that and then it moves on into taking care of everyone in a different way i think we've talked about this on prior podcast about the transition and the growth Mm -hmm. of what we do and how it translates now even more so because the climate changes the you know everything changes and so you're trying to create new things that help the company grow so where we started as to where we ended because i did office hours for students, which was (laughs) very short-lived. And the thing was, when the students were coming in, they were either uh, sleeping with their instructor or they were sleeping with someone else in the class program and they needed to get moved or there was a breast exposed during a show and they were upset about that and that's not the kind of theater that they wanted. And and it continued to go in that area. And when you listen to that and you take stock in it and then you're handed the reins, you go, well, these are things that we probably need to change. And we probably need to change them because a lawyer told us to, (laughs) 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 or we just instinctually said, you know, maybe that's not a good idea. Right. And so as you grow up, you know, we were in our twenties and now we're in our fifties and here we are doing this, but doing it in a way that's universal. It's Mm -hmm. Kids programming, it's adult programming, it's everything that we've ever wanted to do. And I don't restrict when it comes to our shows. I think our main cast performers are adults. They've worked very hard to get there. They know how to be more savvy than... Gratuitous. Yes. So you just try to continue to work and grow and... Focus on the things that are important. Lesson plans are important. Shows and ideas for shows are important. We're sketch writing right now. That's important. We are trying new things, new games. That's important. And when you focus on things like that, you don't focus on the past and you don't focus on things that may or may not have worked. And that's why when anyone comes to me and says, well, you know, when I was coming up, we had this. And I'm like, but you've come up. So what are you going to contribute? What's your legacy going to be here. 
So we are not trying to recreate the past. We're trying to build the future. Major support for Whole World Improv Theater is provided by the Atlanta Mayor's Office of Cultural Affairs, the sweetest smelling office of cultural affairs in the world. You mentioned that there are different things we do here, but I wanted to ask you, Emily, you're an MC, Mm -hmm. which means you write shows for the main cast, but we do a lot of private events. And I know you MC a number of those private events. What's the difference between writing a show for the main stage versus writing a show specifically for a private event? Um, There's not too much of a difference. It really might just be content that relates to that particular company Mm -hmm. or group. Whereas when you are doing a show for the public, your queries of them, your the suggestions that you're asking of them are universal questions that anybody can answer, right? Right. Then if you are doing a private event for a corporation, I'll say, you know, give me some background about your company. What is something that everybody in your organization knows? Like at five o'clock every single day, George's chair is spinning and he's walking to his car with a cigarette and he squeals out, right? So everybody in the company knows that. Or there's certain lingo, certain company culture things that I'll just ask the people flood me with a ton of information and I'm going to cherry pick those different ideas, which helps to kind of cradle a scene. Mm -hmm. So I can set up this idea of a scene. And then once we're on the spot, I have some questions that I can ask them that they can see that it's still very much improvised. But I've now transported us into a scenario of which everybody is already completely familiar with. Mm -hmm. And it attaches to them because it's a company outing, it's a team builder, and it brings everybody together for them. It's customized to them. So it's just getting a little bit more information on the front end Mm -hmm. to help them bond as an audience. Yeah. One question that we're asking for all the main stagers is, what advice would you give to the apprentices? Oh my God, what a great question. What advice would I give to the apprentices? Oh, okay. Um, I would say that don't rush your training enjoy it. Enjoy the ups and downs of it. We're all such harsh critics of ourselves and we can really steal our own joy. And part of being an improviser is being fearless. And you don't just one day snap your fingers and you're fearless. That is something that comes easier to some than others. So in my experience, I was in my own way for so long because I didn't want to look silly or uh, like I didn't know what I was doing. And that was a big barrier between me and my progress or just simple enjoyment of the process. So what I've always said to my students is think of whole world as your playground. Think about how you were as a kid when you didn't care if you fell off the swing or whatever. You just got right back up and you went at it. And I think that that image 
of who you were when you were a kid, if you can just remember to bring that fun and that sweetness to what you're doing, then you are emitting this positivity, this vulnerability, and you're helping your other ensemble members and classmates to do the same. And if we can all get ourselves here, then we can laugh at the great stuff and laugh at the shit and it's all the same. It feels the same. The good stuff feels just like the bad stuff. We just don't give anything one more weight than the other. Just enjoy the whole process. The process over the product. You know, you hear that so often, process over the product, but get out of your own way and have some fun. Invite that kid back in. It's a great answer. Oh, good. I'm glad I did something great today. I'd say drop the mic, but I paid for these mics. Please don't don't drop them. (laughs) Well, we could talk to you all day, Emily, but thanks for being with us and thanks for giving us your perspective. Thank you, John. This is so great. I love what you guys are doing here. Thank you. Thank you. And um, until next week, I'm John Mihalik. I'm Chip Powell. And scene. for listening to the whole world improv theater podcast a podcast with more facts than an hour of fox news the whole world improv podcast is a production of whole world improv theater in association with headspace industries the executive producer writer and tender of the secret improv garden is chip powell the producer writer and it specialist is john mihalik it so you turn your computer on and off Original music by The Gentle Readers. Our social media maven is Bethany Rowe. Please help support this podcast by liking, subscribing, and leaving us a review. At this point, like two out of three, come on, like please? Whole World Improv Theater is a 501c3 nonprofit theater. Please support by donating at our website, wholeworldtheater.com. And remember, it's tax deductible. If you need to save money, not giving it to the government is a great start. Additional writing and voiceover from me, Kate Arlo. And coming to find out, having some kind of dental problem or jaw problem or acquiring a staph infection, MRSA, on your face is not at all conducive to being a voiceover person. I can, I can still barely open my mouth, so I'm sorry. I'll be back with more kookiness coming couple weeks, I hope. Now, Emily, there was a couple here on Friday that left a couple's retreat in Villa Rica <laughs> that you and Mark... Because there ain't no more romantic place <laughs> than Villa over Rica. there in Villa And Rica. you could go to the Go West, okay. where you and Mark could pretend like you're Miss Kitty, and he's a cowboy. <laughs> <Marshall Dillon. laughs> oh or you could be Marianne. And he could be the professor at the shipwrecked location <laughs> that has a pool. Wow. And its own boat. Wow. There you, I mean, just. Damn, if Villa Rica don't have everything. Our patrons. They got everything. Hmm. Okay. Villa Rica. Hmm. <laughs>
You know, honestly, if we ever needed like a gag gift for somebody <laughs> to hand out for somebody. Oh my God. That, oh my God. We should Secret ask Santa. Them. We should, we Secret should ask Santa. them, yes, oh for a um, discounted rate. Yeah. A gift card. Couples only romantic getaway. It I, I, says, I leave your kids and pets behind. <laughs> I'm telling you, next Valentine's Day, point. right there, that's going to, we have an all expense paid B&B to the shipwreck in Villa Rica. <laughs> you know, that's really funny. That would be a fun thing. Like, get all these just bizarre couples packages. Like, that's kind of bizarre. Well, there's a place in Tybee called the Atlantis Hotel. Mm-hmm. And my brother and my stepbrother went after the polar bear plunge, and he had the hots for the lady working behind the desk, my stepbrother. She gave us a tour of every room in the Atlantis. You could go on a Gone with the Wind excursion. You could have gone on a Flintstones. Um, Flintstones? Oh, yeah. The whole entire bathroom is granite, like fake granite that they've made look like the Flintstones. The bed's made of stone. They had the bachelor suite, (laughs) which was a heart-shaped bed with a bar and red shag carpet. I mean, there were a lot of excursions in there that you would never actually really want to sleep in. I've lived a sheltered life. <laughs> All right, let's John. start the podcast and let's then we can kick hear it more off. about that sheltered life. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's just so funny. <laughs>